Hello. Hi and good morning. And I would like to welcome you to our Student Senate convocation. And so this is the Student Senate Cabinet. I'm going to introduce ourselves, but I'm going to start with myself. Hi, my name is Achieng Agutu, and I am the Vice President of Marketing on Student Senate. And I joined Student Senate so that, one, they can have more diversity on Senate. Two, so that they can, I can encourage students of color, most of students of color who are women, to join more student leadership, student leadership positions on campus and three just to create safe spaces for people to talk about subjects or topics they would have otherwise not been able to talk about in any other setup. Hi, um, I'm Hallie Sangus and I am just a senator on Student Senate and the reason I joined was one, to lighten the political, political climate on campus because it's pretty harsh. Um, just, just kidding, that was something to be funny. But um, And two, I wanted to be more involved in campus my senior year. And three, I, um, I wanted to be an advocate for different clubs on campus. So. Hi, I'm Rena Ramos, and I joined Student Senate to help uh, students form their ideas into actual, tangible projects. Hi, I'm Valentin, and I joined Student Senate to make this campus better by working with students and their suggestions. Hi, I'm Laura, and I joined Senate um, to give students a voice in decision-making processes. Hi, I'm Zach, and I also joined Senate for similar reasons to Laura. Uh, I would like to provide students with a voice to administration so that uh, we can like work on changes on campus. Hi, my name is Deeksha Pagar, and I mostly joined Student Senate because it gives us the voice and opportunities to grow and serve people and make a better community. Hi, my name is Ben Shelley, and I joined Student Senate to make Goshen College great again. No. <laughs> but actually, I joined for all the reasons they all said. Hi, I'm Peter, and I joined Student Senate in order to stress out authority figures. So, yeah, I'm the person who's making a plug for next year. Um, as we are going to be electing new senators. And so, here's just a little spiel about what Student Senate is. Um, so it's a student-led organization that um, is working to empower other students and clubs on campus. We are a liaison between um, the student body and faculty and administration. Um, and this is also to help make change on campus and make sure that everyone's voice is heard. And we meet on Wednesdays at um, 7 usually for an hour. Um, to an hour and a half, and the meetings are held in um, Ad 21, so if you want to come, they're open to the public. Please feel free to come and listen and um, voice your opinion. And um, also, if you like our Facebook page, you will get updates on what's happening, um, new initiatives, and it's also fun to see our pictures. Um, doing some fun things there and then also if you have any questions pl please feel free to approach any of us and if you have any concerns or new ideas we would definitely like to hear them so thanks so that's us and so before we start we're gonna do a little quick charade game and whoever answers this is gonna get a free cup from Senate and a free drink from Java Junction so put your heads together and try and figure this out so look over here, can you guys see them? Over here, yeah? And also a little hint, it's something that we did last year. And so it's two words. 
And the first word is... Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Try, try harder. Try harder. Yes, apartment. Yes. Who said it first over there? All of you? <laughs> so whoever from there, whoever comes to me first, I'll give you a drink. At the end, come to me first. All right. So... Okay, so with co-ed apartments, we did that last year, and so you'll be able to live with your guy friends and your girlfriends in the same apartment and have a lot of fun. And if you want to know a little bit more about that, you can go to the housing information night that will be held tonight at 9.30 in Ad 28. Okay, so that was a little bit of something that we did last semester as Student Senate, and so now we want to talk about our upcoming agenda for the second half of the semester. Um, a lot of things we work on are like tangible proposals that like bring some something to campus um, and so one of those that we are have been working on is to bring a bidet to one uh, to one of the bathrooms in the KMY connector <laughs> um, this is uh, partly a proposal for like to be more welcoming to international students um, bidets are used as an alternative to like toilet paper in most countries outside the United States um, so that's one of the things that we're working on uh, the second thing that we're working on is standing desks, and so you'll, there will be a few standing desks in the library for you to work on. So they're cool, they're chill and hip, and they're healthier for you. Um, and then if you guys have been in the union, you've probably seen like the water bottle filling station uh, back by like the vending machines and stuff, and so we're hoping to bring a few more of those to campus as well. And the last one is bike racks, and so we want to increase uh, capacity by having more bike racks for you guys to lock your bicycles on, so you don't have to lock your bikes bikes and trees and poles and people you'll have more places to lock your bikes okay and then so we have some of those tangible things we're trying to bring to campus but we're also trying to work on some policy changes as student senate um, and so one of those is we're still working on uh, topics and things surrounding gender and we would like we, we there will be co-ed apartments next year so that's awesome but we'd also like to see a co-ed floor in the dorms um, we'd also like to see uh, a definition of gender so that we can like uh, so that like m people have a better understanding of why they're like male and female floors. Um, the next one is environmental issues and we're concentrating on divestment and we're supporting the Ecopax Club and GC divestment in their campaign with EMU for divestment against a divestment from fossil fuels. And so if you have more questions, you can go and check out their Facebook page, or you can talk to Hannah Yoder, Cecilia Lapstoltus, or Mimi Salvatore. Um, and then some constitutional changes that we're working on for Student Senate. Um, we've gotten uh, rid of a lot of roles on Student Senate so that we can work, uh, work better together as a group and be more effective. Um, and then we're also uh, redoing the elections so that everybody gets elected in the spring. This way there's... Um, like everybody will be elect know that they're a senator in the spring. Um, they can start meeting a little bit and have some cohesion continuity going into like the fall semester. And the last one that we're concentrating on is visibility. And so we've realized that this year there's not so many people who know what Senate is or who's in student Senate. And so we want your help. We want you guys to let us know ways that we can be more visible on campus. And so if you look on your tables, if you don't have a paper, you'll get one. But there are papers on your table that have questions about how we can be more visible on, on campus, how we can be here for you, and how, just how we can help you guys. So. Yeah, so the, that's all we have for you guys. Um, 
part of Student Senate is helping to empower uh, student clubs on campus, and so one part of, most of this convo is dedicated to a group talking about the Palestine human rights issue, and Peter will have more about that. Thank you. Um, so as Zach mentioned, one of the big roles of Student Senate is empowering and giving a voice to students uh, and helping them to get their word out. And so one thing we've done this semester is we passed a solidarity statement on behalf of the Goshen College student body um, with the Palestinian people. Uh, ben Shelley, our esteemed Senate leader, one of our esteemed Senate leaders, is going to come up and read that for us. Um, and then we're going to proceed with the presentation. Uh, throughout this presentation, uh, we would like to remind you that during the July attacks on Gaza, uh, there would be about one rocket hitting Gaza every 10 minutes for a period of a month. Uh, and so we'll be reminding you every 10 minutes of that to try to give that a more visceral sense. So this is the statement that Student Senate has endorsed on behalf of the student body. We as representatives of the student body of Goshen College recognize the historical realities of violence and oppression faced by the Palestinian people. We mourn the suffering that came with the Nakba when 700,000 Palestinians were forced out of their homes and became refugees as a result of the War of 1948. We recognize that Israel has been in defiant violation of multiple international laws with regard to the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and that Palestinians have been the target of these violations. We affirm the Palestinian right of return and affirm the Palestinian politicians in working for a two-state solution with Jerusalem as a shared city and the borders of 1967, while acknowledging that the Palestinian people look for a single state in the region. We recognize the culpability of the United States in allowing Israel to maintain its occupation by using its veto power on the Security Council. We pledge to pursue nonviolent methods of resistance in the face of these violations in the form of boycotts, divestment, and sanctions. We recognize that the majority of Christian voices in this country have embraced a theology of Christian Zionism and that it is our responsibility as an institution identified with Christian compassionate peacemaking, <coughs> excuse me, peacemaking to provide an alternative voice that calls for love, mercy, and grace. We name that on many college campuses in the United States, the Palestinian narrative is suppressed and rejected, and we seek to ensure that on this campus their story will be told. We seek to join with other campuses to provide a broad network of support for Palestinian rights, and lastly, we are a campus that stands in solidarity with Palestine and with the Palestinian people. Hey everybody, I'm Sarah Zuni, as most of you know, and as you can tell from my skin color or my outfit, I am an international student. So mostly the first or second question after knowing my name is, where are you from? And if the question not for an official record, my answer would be, I am Palestinian. So why is not for official record? I will talk about this later. However, there are two kinds of reactions I usually get from people. First, wow, that's awesome. Or, okay and show the face that they don't know where that is. After that, I'll be, do you know Jerusalem? Yes. My hometown is like three hours from Jerusalem. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Really? Why don't you know that the Promised Land is in Palestine? For me, when I say Palestine, I see this map. On the American media, Google Maps, and in the new maps, they show this map. Wait, where is my country? So... In 19, 1947, the British government announced its intention to terminate the mandate which they held over the land since the end of World War I. 
the United Nations General Assembly voted to partition Palestine into independent Arab and Jewish state with a special international regime for Jerusalem. Before 1947, the Arab Jews only owned 6% of the land, and the partition gave all Jews around the world 55%. The Arabs and Palestinians rejected the partition of Palestine, but the Jews declared the independence of the State of Israel in May 1948. During the 1948 Palestine War, Israel overran four more territory than was proposed by the partition plan. This is how my country disappeared on the map. However, it will never disappear from my heart. Both my grandparents were born and grew in Palestine. My grandfather has finished his 11 years of school, which put him in a position to be employed at the Ministry of Education as a teacher. And since his family was large and need financial support, he became teacher at school in Transjordan in 1952. So he left Kalkilia, my hometown, but he kept returning back for the months of summer vacation. My grandmother has got married to my grandfather a year later and moved to live with him in Karak, Jordan. Just before the summer vacation of 1967, a grandma was pregnant and grandpa sent her to Kalkilia to give birth at home. Comes June 5th, 1967 and they bring with it the Six Day War. A grandma was with her large family had to flee east away from the advanced Israeli troops. They walked nine miles, miles to reach Azun. They stayed the night and then moved by truck to Naples, where grandma gave birth to my youngest aunt at night of June 7th, 1967. After 1948 war, the Israelis closed the borders and did not allow any Palestinian to come back to their towns or nor allowed any personal movement between Arab towns. A grandma did not want to be separated from her husband and her children. So when it was permitted, she decided to go back Jordan to be with them. Maybe in June 20th, 1967. My grandmother left behind her, her brother, fighting to get their home and farm back. In that time, Jordan gave the Palestinian who fled to Jordan before 1967 a Jordanian passport. And since Grandpa was in a good financial situation, he did not take any UN financial aid card given to Palestinian. Years later, Dad met Mom and they got married and pretty much the same story of immigrating to Jordan on my mother's side. Both Mom and Dad have a Jordanian passport and no UN no UN Palestinian card. So my brothers and I, all of us have the Jordanian passport without any UN card saying that we are Palestinian. This is why I can't get into Palestine. There are no official documents saying that I am Palestinian. I grew up knowing that Palestine is my homeland and hearing the stories of my grandparents and how we fled to Jordan. I grew up hearing all the time about people who died because of the occupation. Children lost their parents. Parents, like my parents, lost their kids. Villages and homes got burned and destroyed. I grown up here hearing that I can't enter my homeland because of the occupation. I grown up hearing about war to get the land back. Can you imagine a kid growing, growing up hearing about the war in their homeland as if it is a normal thing? War, death, blood and injuries become a daily news to me since I was seven. I did not realize that I did not realize that war is not a normal situation for a country until I, I arrived here. Can you imagine growing up having this all love for a place without being physically there? Without actually having any opportunity to get there? Can you imagine dreaming to visit Jerusalem and Bethlehem? If you get in, in, if you get in my dorm room, you will see this big map of Palestine through my dream catcher. If you just open my Facebook profile, you will find a lot of status and pictures about Palestine. If you see me around campus, I sometimes would be wearing kufiya. 
my traditional way in talk, of course my Arabic accent, not this accent, and dressing, and dressing even in cooking is Palestinian. I get into conclusion, even though I have never been there, I, Palestine, Palestine will always be my root. I was torn away from my homeland, however, I planted my homeland in myself. Now, I'm seeking more and more to have free Palestine and people could live safely and peacefully in the promised land. All of us back home called it Palestine. All of us believe that Palestine will be free one day. May Allah bless you, Palestine. Hello all. Um, I'm going to give a brief description of the very complicated and contentious history and policy in the establishment of Israel and the current occupation of Palestine. Just as a reminder as well, every 10 minutes there's going to be um, some sort of recognition of rocket blasts that happen in Gaza. Um, Right. The conflict in Palestine today is over land, not religion. Before the Jewish state was established, Palestinians had been the majority in the region and continue to be until 1948. Palestinians do not believe that they should forfeit their land to compensate the Jews um, for Europe's crimes against um, Jews. After British colonial rule failed in the region, the United Nations took over. The UN partition plan divided the country so that each state would have a majority of its own population. While only a few Jewish settlements would fall within the proposed Arab state of Palestine, hundreds of thousands of Palestinian Arabs would become part of the proposed Jewish state. Jerusalem and Bethlehem would be international zones. Zionists accepted this plan with the intention of occupying more land, especially within the wake of World War II, where more Jews were immigrating to Palestine. Arabs, on the other hand, rejected this plan due to international betrayal of previous agreements. In 1948, as Sarah said, Israel violently occupied more land than the UN partition allowed. Palestine, Palestinians sorry, called this occupation the Nakba, the disaster. And in 1949, Israel held 77% of historic Palestine, while Jordan held the West Bank and Egypt held the Gaza Strip. 700,000 Palestinian refugees fled due to war, military actions, large massacres, and planned expulsions by the part of Zionist leaders of Israel. Today, some 5.6 million Palestinians live within historic Palestine, with 20% of those living in Israel. Palestinians within Israel are granted citizenship, but considered second-class citizens. Their movement is strictly um, restricted, their land is often confiscated, their rights are routinely infringed upon, and additionally, it is illegal to commemorate the Nakba or celebrate a Palestinian or Arab identity. Another 5.6 million Palestinians live in the diaspora, which includes 2.6 million in Jordan, the only Arab state to grant citizenship to Palestinians. Other Gulf states house Palestinians, and many of them give um, very few rights to Palestinians. And Lebanon is treating Palestinians with the most hostility. Palestinians living within Palestine and Israel continue to protest the occupation. When larger protest movements arise, Israel reacts with large military force. The most, uh, this most notably happened with the first intifada, in 1987 to 1993, and the second intifada in 2000 to 2005, where, where Israel waged war against Palestine as a means of furthering the occupation and keeping the power structures in place. Intifada means tremor in Arabic, symbolizing both the ongoing protests from Palestinians and the brutal, brutal violence on behalf of the Israelis. These protests 
on the part of Palestinians are not acts of aggression. They are efforts by Palestinians to challenge oppression on a grassroots scale. Currently, Gaza is an open-air prison where no one and no supplies are allowed in or out, even for medical emergencies. Gaza also ran out of potable water this January due to Israeli violation of currently um, internationally agreed upon sea borders, which is an international crime. Destruction of desalinization plants and prevention of the um, import of construction materials needed for water infrastructure also occur. Um, as Ben mentioned, the U.S. involvement is pretty heavy within Israel. The U.S. has supported Israel since its creation, and since 1976, Israel has been the highest recipient of U.S. foreign aid in the world. Without U.S. support, Israel would not be able to sustain its violent occupation and would lose all international credibility. While this is a very simplified overview, it hopefully will give you a grounding for the next presentations. Now we'll have some folks tell stories about what it means for people living on the ground. Hello, my name is Elsa, and I went to Palestine and Israel um, over the summer. Hi, my name is Naomi Peters, and I was also able to travel there this last spring. And today we're going to be sharing some stories of the injustices and some of the things we were able to witness during our stay there. So last summer I traveled to Israel and Palestine, and we were there for not even a few hours before being witness to one of the many injustices that um, Palestinians face in Israel. Our trip leader was a Palestinian-American who had warned us beforehand that she would be stopped at the airport because of her Palestinian name. However, we did not expect to wait um, at the airport for three or so hours while she was being held for questioning. When she was finally able to meet back with our group, we couldn't go to one of the cities we were planning on going to because she had been held back for so long. When we were able to go to Jerusalem, um, this man here was a Palestinian man who was able to give us alternative tours to kind of show the reality of the situation. However, um, while he is an international advocate and activist for the things happening in Palestine and Israel, he, he had very, very limited access to certain parts of the city and certain places in the country. And while we were still there, a few days after we had gotten the tour from him, he was actually deported from the city and later deported from the surrounding areas because he was causing too much of a stir. Throughout the trip, we passed through the checkpoints that Israel has placed between the West Bank and Israel. Our one checkpoint, our bus driver, who is a Palestinian that lives in Israel, um, was asked to step off the bus and had to go to a small building to be questioned. After a few minutes, he was released and we were free to go into the West Bank. We also had to pass through many, many checkpoints throughout our journey. Um, up here we have one major checkpoint that was leading from the Palestinian part of a city called Hebron into the Israeli settlement that's situa situated within the city. And um, here on the other side, we have illegal barbed wire and fencing that creates a sort of temporary blockade that pe Palestinian people aren't allowed to pass through to limit their access to certain parts of the city. Another thing we saw is if you look up in the upper right corner, you can see a sign. It's um, dictated that all signs should be put in all three languages um, that are circulated through the city, but most commonly the Arabic will be crossed out, blotted out, or graffitied over so that you can't actually read it. When my group traveled to Nazareth, we um, talked with Palestinian students at a local high school. One of our conversations was around the topic of oppression and the injustices they face daily. One student said that she wants to become a scientist, but won't be able to because the Israeli government doesn't want Palestinians becoming scientists. They're too afraid that Palestinians will build bombs and fight back. The student also said that Palestinians aren't allowed to become pilots because of the fear that they will be terrorists. One of our, er, on our tour of Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee, our tour guide said that he believed that not all Palestinians are terrorists, but all terrorists are Palestinians. 
Here you can see an area of construction. It's currently the construction, or was while I was there, the construction of another illegal Israeli settlement on Palestinian land. This had been an area of great debate and conflict that had been creating a bit of an international stir. And so the Israeli government promised through the media in Israel and internationally that they would halt the construction, that it was stopped until a more peaceful or more agreed upon solution could be happening. But while we were there, our tour guide took us here and we were able to see and hear the sounds of construction see the vehicles still doing it even though the media was telling us that it had stopped that they were creating a solution so there's also this aura of untruth that circulates through the area this woman here her name is Sanabel she is a Palestinian Palestinian woman living in a in a refugee camp that we were able to to go visit this refugee camp was supposed to be a, a temporary placement but it's become a very permanent community um, she was actually featured as a child in a movie called Promises, which um, kind of outlines some of the conflict. But um, she lives there currently with her, her husband and her child, but her father and her brother are currently being detained and have been detained, I believe, five times previously for acts that don't deserve such, such re um, retribution. Um, so what made these things that I saw more impactful was going to a refugee camp in Bethlehem. We went to the Ida refugee camp, which was only ever meant to be temporary, but has become uh, more permanent since. And it's a mess of concrete. Um, the only school inside its walls is owned by the UN, um, but it's riddled with bullet holes because it's targeted by Israel. The few people that we saw on the streets were children um, who marched along singing about being proud of being Palestinian. It was hard to see these children, some of who looked um, to be around seven, and know that they had no childhood because of the oppression that they were in. I had spoken earlier a little bit about Hebron, and this is a picture um, directly after the checkpoint that you saw previously. Um, Hebron is this beautiful, bustling, cultural city full of life. Um, about 80% of the population is made up of the, of the Palestinian section, but within the city is an uh, Israeli settlement that takes up about 20% of the population and is governed not under the Palestinian law, but under their own municipal law. And within the, within the, as soon as you pass through the checkpoint and get into the settlement part, it was almost like a ghost town. There was very little life, very little vibrancy. They had actually um, melded or welded the doors of people's homes and people's shops shut and barred them off so that Palestinian people were not able to enter their businesses or enter their homes. Some have to enter through like back windows and some can't even access any of their belongings at all and they had to leave. Um, well, all of them had to leave. And um, I was, I myself never felt threatened or afraid while I was in Israel-Palestine, but this was the first time where I felt fear for someone else because our guide, our guide here was a Palestinian man. And as soon as we, as soon as we went through the checkpoint, about three or four armed military vehicles came out and armed soldiers came out and they just stood there and they watched us for a duration of our time in the city. Um, we walked down this street here for about a minute before a soldier came out and said, you have to get off now because Palestinians were not allowed to walk down the street or be seen on the street. And so we had to go to a separate pathway here shown in the corner because we were un um, not allowed, or the Pal um, Palestinians were not allowed to walk on the street below. What you can see up in the upper corner is the streets um, around the Israeli settlement in Hebron actually have to be covered, sometimes a lot more cruelly than this. This is one of the nicer parts because the settlers living on upper stories will actually throw debris and garbage down at passerbys, and there's been a lot of dangerous injuries um, from that. Um, we were also able to see, while we were walking along the pathway in the, um, in the bottom corner, we passed by a group of children being led along to school. 
um, and the children there actually they must they have to be guided to go to school. It's dangerous for them to walk alone because settlers were settlers, children, old, young alike, will stone them on their way. So one of the striking things about the Ida refugee camp is that it's right next to the separation wall. Some people call this the apartheid wall, and it's technically illegal, although that hasn't stopped Israel from spending about two billion dollars on it. The wall is supposed to follow a certain line, but it doesn't at all. Instead, it, the wall is being built in Palestinian land, taking, taking away from what little they have left. Israelis don't see this wall as a problem, though. They see it as a security fence, offering freedom and security to the people living on either side. To Israel, the wall is only there to keep out the terrorists, who happen to be Palestinians. The wall is massive, gray, ugly, and extremely hard to miss. At least, it looks this way on the Palestinian side. On the Israeli side, you would have no idea that it was anything more than a tall highway divider. There's nice stone decorating it, and it blends in. But this is just not the case in Palestine. Um, instead of letting the wall overshadow their lives, though, Ida refugees have decided to use its gray slabs as canvases for their Palestinian pride and resistance. Many pieces of art cover the wall, from large murals depicting the tragedies that the Palestinians have faced to someone's name marking that they were there. There are Palestinian flags everywhere on the walls, and some are done in shattered glass, and there was one painted on an old tire that we saw. One remarkable story that I heard while in Ida was a story behind the black smoke mark on one of the towers in the wall. As it turned out, youth had been sneaking to the wall at night and lighting fires until one day they burnt a hole through and went to the other side. The youth didn't do this to fight the Israelis, but to show that they were not about to stay caged in. Since coming back from Israel and Palestine, we have not stopped thinking about what we saw there. At first, it was hard to find the words to describe everything we were feeling, but it's become easier since we've been back. There's so much to this conflict. It's not simple. However, it's impossible to deny that the Palestinian people are being oppressed. Something needs to be done because it's not right for people to think that all, Palest or that all terrorists are Palestinians and that they shouldn't be scientists or pilots. Things like the separation wall cannot be overlooked. We really want to encourage all of you to please educate yourselves further on this subject and the situation, to join with and support any groups that advocate for peace and change, to talk with any of us, and to visit Israel-Palestine if you have the chance, because, because we all need to recognize the situation, and we all need to work towards positive, peace-driven change. We are all human, and we deserve to be treated as thus. So our question to you all is, what will you do? Thank you. So at this point, um, another rocket would have hit. That's just something to think about. Um, so before I delve fully into this topic, I just have a few questions. Um, who here has like a hundred percent understanding of the Book of Revelation, uh, Revelations and knows all the symbols and references? Anyone? Okay. Who here doesn't know the Book of Revelations that well, but is pretty sure that it talks about the end times and the second coming of Christ? Okay. So a few more of you. So to put it simply, the group of you that had your hand raised thinks, like most Protestant Christians, not completely sure on revelations, but pretty confident it has to do with the end of the world. Amongst you, there may be some, possibly a majority, who believe that those end times are tied to what, is hap what happens to the modern-day nation of Israel. This is the bare bones of Christian Zionism. Christian Zionism is the belief that Israel must exist as a nation in order for the end times to come to pass. It is a product of premillennialist thought, the idea that after a brief time of tribulation, 
there will come a thousand-year reign of Christ. However, it is that brief time of tribulation that is most concerning. The most prominent Christian Zionist in this country is John Hagee, the leader of the group Christians United for Israel. His power and influence was most apparent during the 2006 war between Lebanon and Israel, in which the Israeli Defense Force, in pursuit of Hezbollah agents, killed 1,000 civilians and injured nearly 4,000 more. As Israel's biggest ally, the United States was pushed to call for a ceasefire, and while George W. Bush was pondering whether or not he should do it, he was visited by Hagee. Hagee described the violence as a birthing pang of the apocalypse, and told President Bush that he should not interfere, and then the United States didn't call for a ceasefire, and the violence continued. Though Hagee's opinion was not necessarily the prime reason for Bush's decision, Hagee's violent um, ideology did influence United States foreign policy, which is a scary reality. There are more examples of this kind of thought that go all the way back to President Truman chanting, I am Cyrus, I am Cyrus, referencing the biblical narrative in which the nation of Israel is brought back to greatness by the Persian Emperor Cyrus. My time up here today is not going to give us nearly enough time to delineate every example of Christian Zionism being present in the hearts and minds of presidents or politicians. Instead, we will focus on what we can do and need to do as Christians. First of all, allowing for land theft and ethnic cleansing in the name of any religious belief is morally abhorrent, and that should go without say. However, it is because of a religious belief that the modern state of Israel and the biblical nation of Israel are one and the same, and that Israel must be allowed to act as it pleases, as was ordained by God, that, by and large, folks from the United States ignore the international crimes committed by Israel. Second of all, we as American Christians have an obligation to speak out against this strain of belief, not only because it is largely unfounded in terms of its theology, but because it is inherently violent to everyone who is not a Christian. In the Christian Zionist tra narrative, the end of the world comes at the expense of Israel. Jewish people are not included in the culmination of that narrative. The Palestinians who are suffering every day are not benefiting from that narrative. The only ones who are benefiting in that narrative are the Christians who fuel fires in foreign lands in hopes of bringing a second coming. I would like to think we could all agree that Christianity does not work this way. It is not a, is not a machine where you put in genocide and Jesus comes back. Instead, Christianity should be a voice in the wilderness, calling out violence for what it is, standing with the oppressed, and shaping a narrative that is more closely bound to the themes of love and compassion that usually define our faith. So what can you do? And I'll try to wrap this up quick for you all. Um, BDS is the biggest movement working to stop apartheid in Israel today. Uh, this stands for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions, symbolizing the three levels at which we can work here. States can work on sanctioning Israel, organizations can work on divesting from Israel, and individuals like you can work on boycotting Israel. Um, and so what does this entail? Uh, boycotting has three aspects. There's a cultural boycott, uh, an academic boycott, and a consumer boycott. A cultural boycott means not encouraging uh, the fetishization of, is of Israeli culture in American society as so popularly happens. The academic boycott means avoiding the work of Israeli universities. Israeli universities are uniquely complicit in discrimination against Palestinians and preventing the education of the Palestinian people um, and keeping the Palestinian people oppressed. And so avoid citing them in your papers, avoid using them in your research, um, avoid attending them. 
The consumer boycott is maybe the, well, is the, the clearest one for individuals. Um, there are many, many companies that all do work and do business in Israel, profiting off of Israeli settlement policy. Um, among these are SodaStream, McDonald's, Ahava, HP, Motorola, Intel, Volvo, Victoria's Secret, Pampers, Coca-Cola, Nestle, and General Mills. These are popular country, uh, companies that you see every day. As you stop buying these companies' products, and better yet, if you write them a letter to make it clear why you're doing that, um, we can help to change some of the pressures on the Israeli government. Um, these are all, well, yeah, this list is split into two parts. Um, the top everything but those bottom three are all companies that actually have uh, production plants directly in uh, occupied Palestine. Uh, the bottom three are companies that do a lot of business with Israel and support Israeli, Israel in that way. Um, the biggest thing you can do on campus here right now is Sabra Hummus is one of the occupying companies, and you'll note that the Fraker sells Sabra. Um, and we've been talking with Chef Jeremy, and Chef Jeremy does not have enough power to uh, get AVI to pull Sabra from the Fraker, but he does have enough power to get them to introduce also a substitute. Uh, so there will be two kinds of hummus in the Fraker from now on. And we would highly encourage you to encourage everyone that you know to not buy the Sabra. If no one buys it, they'll stop stocking it. Uh, and we can stop supporting Israel in one very concrete way in that way. Um, for more information on these things, check out bdslist.org or any of these other uh, websites um, for a list of companies that you should avoid. Thank you very much.